Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. This Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or it's simpler to use a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, Radio Havana Cuba, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. 2022 was the hottest year on record in the UK. Many European countries are reporting record high January temperatures, and DW did a series of stories as a forecast for what may be coming. Starting with a review of 2022, pointing out the human effect on various weather events and efforts to limit the carbon emissions. The number of people demonstrating for direct environmental action has risen in Europe. January's warming in Central Europe has resulted in almost no snow in the mountains. The U.S. State Department joined others in criticizing a provocative visit by a far-right Israeli minister to one of Jerusalem's most sensitive religious sites, while the government unveiled a plan to weaken the powers of the Israeli Supreme Court. In Peru, anti-government protest resumed. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. The British National Weather Service has confirmed that 2022 was the hottest year on record in the UK. They reported that the average temperature for the year was 10 degrees Celsius, adding that human-induced climate change was responsible. Well, many European countries are seeing record high January temperatures as unseasonably warm weather sweeps across the continent. Scientists are warning that 2023 is likely to bring an increase in extreme weather events around the world due to human-induced climate change. DW's climate reporter Tim Schoenberg has this outlook for the year ahead. Devastating floods, droughts, apocalyptic storms and rising sea levels. The past year in the US, Pakistan, Italy and the Horn of Africa was just the beginning. The scientists are able to give an attribution very quickly. The Pakistan flood, they gave an attribution 50% more a flood because of human-induced climate change. The Hurricane Ian that hit Florida, they said 30% more uh, uh, flooding, rainfall, because of climate change. Okay, So we now have a climate change element to all these disasters. There's no zero climate change disaster left anymore. The energy crisis fueled by the Russian invasion of Ukraine will continue to play a major role in terms of how quickly countries reduce their emissions in the long run. There are two main developments. The first is the exploration of new gas and oil fields. New pipelines, refineries and LNG terminals are being built, so nations no longer have to depend on Russian fossil fuels. The second and even bigger trend 
major investments in solar and wind power and hydrogen capacities, particularly in the US, the EU, China and India. Everybody now has understood that banking on cheap gas is not a good idea. One needs to have a different plan and the plan is to save energy and to um, install more renewable energy. So you have two competing trends. And the main question for me is which one wins? One important step forward that we may see in 2023 is a deal between the G7 countries and India, along the lines of an agreement made with South Africa last year. Under the Just Transition Partnership, the US, Germany, France, the EU and the UK agreed to provide South Africa with billions in financing to speed up its coal phase-out plans. A deal of this kind with the world's fifth largest economy, India, would accelerate its switch to renewables and potentially represent a big move towards climate justice and the curbing of global warming. And if a deal for a country which has a coal fleet five times or, you know, it's a bigger economy were to emerge, it sort of ushers in a new paradigm of climate discussions, which can actually keep up with the pace needed. The next United Nations Climate Conference, COP28, is due to take place in the United Arab Emirates at the end of the year. Scientists agree that we cannot afford to miss any more opportunities when it comes to stopping climate change. Every year counts. Um, let's look at this with our environment reporter, Louisa Osborne. Welcome, uh, Louise. So this all looks very, very gloomy in this new year. Yeah, um, it's, it's easy to see it that way, especially with the record high temperatures that we've already seen uh, that you were talking about earlier this year. Um, but there is hope, actually. I mean, we have the new Brazilian president now who has promised to put in measures to protect the Amazon, which is a major carbon sink and can help us with uh, dealing with climate change. Uh, he's also promised zero deforestation by 2030. So we'll see what happens. And obviously, uh, although the energy crisis is still biting and, and it's difficult, there is the hope that that will push us further towards renewable energy, which is positive. OK, so that, that all sounds like mitigation. That all sounds like slowing down this inexorable uh, progress towards uh, doom and destruction. Is, is there anything else that we can do to actually pull back from the brink? Well, I mean, sadly, emissions rose in 2022 again um, to record levels, and it looks like we're not going to lower them in, in 2023. Uh, even if we do cut emissions, uh, there is the uh, greenhouse gases that are already there that are still going to cause higher temperatures. But we're hoping, or, or scientists hope, that we will still be able to curb some of that. Um, so we just have to see what happens and how we can look at reducing our carbon emissions. OK, so does that mean that we are likely to see more of the, um, of the, the demonstrations that, that we've seen uh, over the last few years and even the more sort of radical actions that have been taken on, on climate change? So, uh, interestingly, uh, Extinction Rebellion has said that it's going to pull back from those kinds of actions. Um, instead, they are looking to get more people involved rather than taking radical actions that kind of uh, push people away. Um, saying that, that's not going to be an end to these radical actions. I mean, we're already seeing in Germany, obviously, the, uh, the protests taking place in Lutzerrat, where uh, people are 
coming against the police to try to stop the expansion of a coal mine. Um, and then there are other groups like Just Stop Oil and Last Generation that have also said that they are willing to take the extra penalties of, you know, regardless of the fines and the extra detention time that they might have to make sure that this issue really gets the attention that it arguably needs. Thank you for that. Uh, Louise Osborne, Environment Reporter. Thank you. In Central Europe, the impact of global warming isn't felt as strongly as elsewhere in the world, but record temperatures in a number of European countries are making the effects ever clearer. Poland saw temperatures reach 19 degrees Celsius on New Year's Day. That was one of nine countries to set new national records. In Romania's capital, Bucharest, it felt like springtime with thermometers hitting 20 degrees. The balmy conditions have caused havoc in the winter tourism industry, however, with ski resorts struggling with a lack of snow. It looks like a summer trip up the mountain, but this is January in Europe. Green grass blankets hills that should be covered in snow right now, and ski slopes have been confined to a narrow lane. It's really weird. Everything is green left and right of the slope. Temperatures of up to 10 degrees Celsius have caused the last snow on these slopes to melt. And what little snow you see here didn't fall from the sky. We had fresh natural snow in Selamse, about 40 centimeters. This would be far too little. So we filled it out with artificial snow. Because of that, we've coped well. The last significant snowfall in the area was at the start of December. Ski slope operators are feeling the pinch. It's, very it's the main season. We should be hosting up to 4,000 guests in the area, but now there's only half of the usual guests. Switzerland and France have also been feeling the heat. Numerous slopes remain closed over the festive season, forcing holidaymakers to consider taking up alternative sporting activities. We hear the news about global warming. I don't know. But the fact is that we can't deny it. Fog and rain instead of snow. While by no means comparable to the humanitarian disasters caused by global warming around the world, the current state of European ski slopes is yet another sign that the climate emergency affects all of us. The US State Department has joined several Arab governments in criticizing a far-right Israeli minister's visit to one of Jerusalem's most sensitive religious sites. National Security Minister, National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gvir toured the Temple Mount, which is sacred to Jews and to Muslims. Access to the site has long been a source of dispute between Israel and the Palestinians. Israel's new government has unveiled a plan to overhaul the judicial system and weaken the powers of the Supreme Court. The proposals would allow Parliament to override some court decisions with a simple majority. Critics say the plan would upend uh, Israel's system of checks and balances and undermine its democratic institutions. Anti-government protests in Peru over the ousting of former President Pedro Castillo have resumed after a brief pause during the past weeks. Authorities reported that roads had been blockaded in dozens of provinces. Protesters in Lima tried to reach Congress to demand the resignation of lawmakers.
Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at a channel called DW News and DW Documentary. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. More on the strikes continuing in Peru after the ouster of President Castillo. Newly inaugurated Brazilian President Lula da Silva revoked many of the decrees that had been signed by Bolsonaro. U.S. weapons sales have shown a drastic increase as a result of the war in Ukraine, nearly doubling in 2022. The number of Palestinians killed by Israeli forces in 2022 was the highest since 2005. Radio Havana, Cuba. The General Confederation of Peruvian Workers, CGTP, called a mobilization for this Wednesday against the government of President-designated Dina Boluarte and to demand the closure of Congress, as well as in support of those who will carry out an indefinite strike in several regions of the country. The Deputy Secretary General of the CGPT, Gustavo Minaya, told Telesur that they have coordinated with their main union bases in the capital to express this militant solidarity with our brothers in the South, who are taking the lead to resume these struggles against the civil military dictatorship headed by Mrs. Dina Boluarte. Protests have been registered in Peru since December the 7th, 2022, when the Congress dismissed Pedro Castillo and swore in then Vice President Boluarte as the new president. According to the Peruvian Ministry of Health, a strong repression against the demonstrations has left 30 dead and dozens injured. Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva revoked more than a dozen decrees signed during the government of his predecessor, Jair Bolsonaro, in one of his first acts after taking office as Brazilian president. The decree suspended the policy of flexibility for the acquisition of arms and the immediate withdrawal of the privatization program of the oil company Petrobras and of the logistics company Correios and Empresa Brasileira de Comunicação, EBC, the public media network. Lula has determined that the general controller of the union, CGU, would have to reevaluate within 30 days the secrecy imposed for 100 years and documents and information of the public administration and decision of the previous executive. As reported in the statement by Lula's press team, the Amazonia Fund, a fund of international donations commanded by Norway and Germany that had been scorned by Bolsonaro's government aimed at the productive development of Amazonian communities, was also re-established. Weapon sales by the United States to NATO member states in 2022 have shown a drastic increase to countries react to fears caused by the ongoing war between Ukraine and Russia. Foreign Policy magazine reports that U.S. arms sales to NATO almost doubled this past year as the war between Russia and Ukraine prompted other European countries into purchasing more weapons. According to analysis of two years of data from the U.S. Defense Department's Defense Security Cooperation Agency by the magazine, U.S. arms sales had increased from $15.5 billion in 2021 to $28 billion in 2022. The magazine conducted uh, the sharp uptick in the U.S. arms sales to NATO countries reflected a massive shift in Europe's security policy after Russia launched what Moscow said was a special military operation aimed to denazify Ukraine's pro-Russia's eastern state. In the meantime, the U.S. military-industrial complex has emerged as the key beneficiary of the war in Ukraine, 
Reports in U.S. media have confirmed that American weapons manufacturers were reaping huge profits from the war in Ukraine as the demands for weapons and ammunition increased. The four largest U.S. armed manufacturers or ended 2022 with their stocks at or near all-time high. The profits of these comp companies are so interlinked with the rise in demand of weapons caused by the war in Ukraine that Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Pratt & Whitney, and Lockheed Martin all sponsored a reception at the Ukrainian embassy in Washington, D.C. earlier this month, causing controversy over the matter of arms sales when they emblazoned the logos of their companies in the invitation letters. New data has revealed that 2022 has been the deadliest year for Palestinians in the West Bank since the Second Intifada, which ended in 2005, with at least 220 people being killed at the hands of Israeli forces across the occupied territories. According to figures published by the Middle East, I, Israeli forces shot dead 167 people in the West Bank and East Al-Quds and 53 people in the besieged Gaza Strip, with 48 children being among the total casualties. The report further noted that in at least five cases, Israeli settlers were suspected of killing Palestinians, while the regime's military is responsible for the overwhelming majority of deaths. The London-based news website also said the majority of Palestinian casualties were likely unarmed at the time of their death. Tensions have been running high across the occupied Palestinian territories over the past several months. Incidents of sabotage and violence by settlers against Palestinians and their property have become a daily occurrence throughout the occupied territories, particularly in the West Bank. However, Israeli authorities rarely prosecute settlers and the vast majority of the files are closed due to deliberate police failure to investigate them properly. Moreover, Israeli forces have recently been conducting overnight raids and killings in the northern occupied West Bank, mainly in the cities of Jenin and Nablus where new groups of Palestinian resistance fighters have been formed. Meanwhile, the United Nations says Israeli forces killed more Palestinians in the West Bank in 2022 than in any year since the world body began systematically recording fatalities in 2005. UN experts have held Israel responsible for the recent surge in violence in the occupied Palestinian territories, warning that the brutality could further escalate with a new far-right Israeli cabinet. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15.140 and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6060 or 6165. At their website, radiohc.cu, you could stream the English version 
on Monday through Friday at noon Pacific Standard Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a most faithful listener in Albion, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. The UK Prime Minister vowed to cut the inflation rate in half this year. His approval rate is currently 13%. Japan has a plan for Asia to approach carbon neutrality in the face of rising energy consumption. Chinese President Xi met with Philippine President Marcos, signing 14 cooperation documents. The U.S. announced more military exercises with Japan and South Korea, welcoming the expanded Japanese military strategy. Russia warned the Japanese Prime Minister against its revised and growing militarization. NHK Japan And now moving to Britain, which has been struggling with historically high inflation of over 10%, with energy prices up sharply. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has vowed to cut the inflation rate by half. During his first major speech of the year, Sunak made five promises to tackle Britain's most pressing problems. Five pledges to deliver peace of mind. Five foundations on which to build a better future for our children and grandchildren. First, we will halve inflation this year to ease the cost of living and give people financial security. He also pledged to boost growth and reduce the national debt. And he promised to patch up the National Health Service and pass laws to halt the flow of illegal immigrants. Sunak said there are no tricks or ambiguity in his five-point plan. Britain has been hit with strikes by workers, including railway and airport employees, as well as nurses. The Sunak administration has been plagued by a low approval rate since its start in October. A recent poll puts its approval rate at 13 percent and the disapproval rate at 65 percent. Japan is mapping out a framework for carbon neutrality in Asia in the run-up to the G7 summit. Energy consumption is rising in many Asian countries. With that in mind, Kishida is pushing the Asia Zero Emission Community concept. Its goals are sustainable economic growth and decarbonization. Japan's industry ministry plans to hold the first ministerial meeting on the initiative and the public-private investment forum in March. Some members of ASEAN, Australia and others are expected to attend. ASEAN members largely depend on thermal power generation because they lack land fit for wind or solar power generation. Japan would provide financial support for those countries to switch from coal-fired power to thermal alternatives that emit less carbon dioxide. Japan also wants to jointly develop technology to use hydrogen and ammonia, which are seen as next-generation energy sources. 
Chinese President Xi Jinping has seen relations sour with neighbors in and around the South China Sea. But he says he's ready to resume talks on natural resources with leaders in the Philippines. Xi met Wednesday with Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. in Beijing. The Chinese foreign ministry says Xi told Marcos China will properly handle maritime issues through friendly consultation. The countries have sovereignty disputes in the South China Sea. The ministry says Xi aims to strengthen bilateral ties in energy, infrastructure and other areas. It quoted Xi as saying China will work with the Philippines to restart negotiations on oil and gas exploration and cooperate in non-disputed areas. The Philippines presidential office says Marcos told Xi he wants to take ties with China to a new level. The office also says Marcos vowed to pursue negotiations on joint resource exploration. The country signed 14 cooperation documents in a range of areas, including establishing communication channels over the South China Sea and the Belt and Road Initiative, in which China aims to create a vast economic zone. A senior White House official says the U.S. will conduct more defense exercises with Japan and South Korea. It's meant to boost security ties between the three countries amid growing threats from Pyongyang. The U.S. held joint drills in the region at the end of last year after a flurry of North Korean missile launches. American officials are now looking to improve trilateral defense cooperation with allies in Tokyo and Seoul. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby says the U.S. is devoting more resources to boost intelligence gathering and military capabilities in the region. He also welcomed Japan's efforts to revamp its defense strategy and enhance its ability to defend itself. U.S. President Joe Biden is set to meet with Japanese Prime Minister Kishida Fumio in Washington next week. They're expected to discuss a number of Asian issues, including North Korea's nuclear threats and the tensions around Taiwan. On top of this trip to the U.S., Prime Minister Kishida has a busy travel schedule next week. He's set to meet the leaders of G7 countries, including France, Italy, Britain and Canada. Kishida is expected to carry, uh, expected to call for greater collaboration under Japan's leadership to tackle global challenges. The issues to be discussed will likely include Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the food crisis, nuclear disarmament, and climate change. Russia's deputy foreign minister for Asian affairs has warned Kishida of countermeasures against what he called Japan's militarization policy. Andrei Rudenko made the remark in an interview with Russia's state-run TASS news agency released on Tuesday. Rudenko referred to Japan's revisions to key defense documents to allow the country to launch counterstrikes as Japan is abandoning its policy of peaceful development. He said if this practice continues, Russia will be left with no choice other than to take adequate countermeasures to block military threats. The interview also touched on the issue of the Northern Territories and resuming peace talks with Japan. Tass quoted him as saying, It's impossible to discuss the signing of such a document with a country that takes an openly unfriendly posture. Russia controls the four islands. Japan claims them. 
The Japanese government maintains the islands are an inherent part of Japan's territory. It says the islands were illegally occupied after World War II. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan, heard at from 8.30 to 9 p.m. at 9865 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. Their podcasts are available at most podcast sites, as is the shortwave report. All the times they announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people to listen to international broadcast, get a global perspective. You do have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.